All right. How are you guys doing? You guys good? You guys saw the kids sing. You guys got coffee. Uh, you got everything that you need for an incredible Sunday. I can't believe that Christmas Eve is tomorrow, uh, and uh, this season is a, a season of love and hope and joy and Hallmark movies. Uh, it is unreal how many Christmas Hallmark movies there are. Uh, there's actually, I, I saw this advertisement, they're releasing 37 Christmas Hallmark movies just this year. Just for 20, there's not even 37 days like in the Christmas season. Uh, but it kind of got me thinking a, a little bit just because, um, you know, there's this aspect of these Hallmark movies that uh, they all kind of communicate this one type of thing. And every Hallmark movie feels like, uh, every Christmas Hallmark movie at least, it feels like it's, it's wrapped around this idea of finding love at Christmas. It, it's all shaped around this. So I went through and I actually found a list. These are actual titles of Christmas Hallmark movies. You guys, this is, you're welcome. Okay, so uh, I, I don't have all 200, but I've got a number of them. So, uh, Finding John Christmas, A Carol Christmas, you know, like instead of a Christmas Carol. Come on, guys. Uh, it's Hallmark. I didn't write these. Uh, a Boyfriend for Christmas, All I Want for Christmas, Our First Christmas, Love's Christmas Journey, A Christmas Wedding Tale, A Princess for Christmas, uh, It's Christmas Carol, which is different than A Carol Christmas, uh, A Bride for Christmas, Signed, Sealed, Delivered for Christmas, uh, A Christmas Melody, and you better believe that that's a woman named Melody that this guy fell in love with, right? Uh, let's see, My Christmas Love, um, Hearts of Christmas, A Rose for Christmas, The Sweetest Christmas, It's Christmas Eve, which is different than It's Christmas Carol. There, it's, it's, just, it's kind of a sequel, but you know. Uh, Eve's Christmas, which is also different. Uh, Reunited, I mean, it goes on, Pride, Prejudice, and Mistletoe. This is an actual name of a Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, Mingle All the Way, I think might be my favorite one. Um, and then because, you know, some people love things more than they do people. There's A Shoe Addict's Christmas. Uh, and then just the last one was just so sweet, I couldn't not read it. A Grandpa for Christmas. Oh, come on. Who's going to go home and look on their DVR for A Grandpa for Christmas? So there's, there's all of these movies, and, and Hallmark, obviously, they go overboard with this, and, and they push this idea of Christmas being the perfect time for love and, and, and finding that love and reconnecting and whatever it is. And, and there's an aspect of that that resonates. There's an aspect of that that works because we all kind of have this longing for love. We all have this desire for love. And it shows up in different ways. It shows up in different types of relationships. Uh, a lot of us are looking for romance. You're looking for your Christmas carol. Uh, a lot of us are just, you know, we want to feel that love, that relationship, that connection from our family, from our kids, whatever it might be. We have this thing in us that drives us um, towards love, and it, it causes us to resonate with these love stories. It's this dream of love that kind of, it lies at the heart, it, it lies at kind of the, the base foundation of every human, every person. There's a sense that it's the perfect time of year to fall in love, uh, to declare your love, um, to kind of design or, or figure out the perfect romantic gift or gesture. There's this, this pressure almost of, of, of having to accomplish this thing. I was talking to somebody um, about three weeks ago, 
and um, I, I will keep this person's name uh, secret for his own protection. He's not here. Don't worry. Don't look around like, who is this? Uh, but he has been dating this girl, and he is like madly in love with her, and he knows that he wants to uh, propose to her. I was like, that's awesome, man. He's like, yeah. He's like, but I'm going to wait. And I was like, why? He's like, well, it just feels like everybody expects you to propose at Christmas, so I don't want to just do what everybody thinks I'll do. I was like, very romantic. You know, it's a very, I like how you're putting all this thought into, you know, worrying about what everybody else thinks and not this person that you've fallen in love with. But there's this, there's this aspect where everywhere we look around us, um, we are uh, faced with Christmas cards and movies and posts and all this kind of stuff. And, and it can lead us to assume when, when we see all of these perfect loves everywhere else, but we feel this kind of disconnect in our own lives, it can lead us to assume that uh, if the people that I most want to feel loved by don't love me the way that I want to be loved, it means that I'm either unlovable or they are unloving. We kind of fall into this trap when, when we enter into the Christmas season or any season, whether, when you're in a, a friendship or a family relationship or you're married or, or, or whatever it might be, when, when you are not receiving love the way that you feel like you deserve it or the way that you feel like you want to be loved, usually we fall into this binary way of thinking of either um, I am, I'm not lovable uh, or there is something wrong with them. They are unloving. We tend to attach people's face to this idea of love, uh, unless you're a dog person, then you can include your dogs. I know there's a lot of dog people around here, and, and they say that dogs are like man's best friend, that they will always love you, and I've just never figured that one out, so you guys are going to have to figure that one out to me, but, uh, but there's this aspect of love that we attach to people, to relationships. Uh, we want to believe that people around us can love us the way that we want, uh, but ultimately, at some point, they fail us. Maybe not in serious, maybe not in damaging ways, but just realistically. Uh, there's no way that the people around us can give us everything that we want all the time. Uh, they can love us the way that we want. I have a three-year-old. He was up here surprisingly still singing. Uh, and there is this aspect of him, especially right now, where all that I really want on these chilly uh, wintry Southern California nights is for him to come and sit on my lap and cuddle. And so I'll say, Arlo, he's like, yeah, like, do you want to come cuddle with me? No. And it's like, uh, there's like a little part of me that dies every time. Like, why? Why don't you love me? Like, there's, but I mean, as silly as it is, there's this little thing with, that we all kind of experience of we want this thing, we expect this thing. I would love for my three-year-old to sit on my lap and cuddle with me. I would love for my family to, I would love for my spouse to, I, whatever it might be. And whether it's a serious thing or maybe it's just a smaller silly thing, there's always like a little bit of this kind of jolt of, wait, no, you won't, you can't. You haven't, there's this disconnect of, of what we crave, the love that we want to feel, and what we oftentimes experience. Why can't the people love me exactly the way I need, right when I need it, even if it changes moment by moment? How do I feel love from other people? And hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, there was a man named Hosea. This is a really kind of bizarre story to talk about uh, two days before Christmas. But uh, we're talking about this idea. We've been going through over the last few months, uh, or the last few weeks, we've been talking about peace, hope, 
and joy, which are three of the four themes of the Advent season, which leads us up to Christmas. And, and the fourth theme is love. And so we talk about these four things because these are four different categories, four different ideas of how we can prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for Christmas, for the birth of Jesus as we prepare to celebrate this holiday together. And so there's a story, uh, there's a book called Hosea in the Old Testament, and it's a story about this man uh, who lived, uh, it was a few hundred years before Jesus was born. Uh, Hosea was a prophet, uh, and, and there's a lot of different, when I say prophet, there might be a lot of different things that come to your mind, but a, a simple kind of basic definition of a prophet is it was a person that spoke God's truth to people that didn't want to hear it, but they desperately needed to. There are better definitions. There are more uh, theological definitions, but this is the base idea of what a prophet was. They spoke the truth of God, of how he wanted people to live, of what he wanted people to know. He, they would speak the truth of God to people that weren't living that way, and they usually didn't want to hear it. Uh, if you think about different types of prophets in the Bible, it was usually people were not big fans of them. Uh, some of you guys have the gift of telling the truth to people, and you know that that can cause tension at times. It can cause a little bit of a disconnect at times. And so there's this man named Hosea, and at the time of his life, Israel was this people that was supposed to believe in the one true God. They were supposed to live their lives this way. There was this idea that, that God wanted to be loved by Israel in a certain way, but they continued to look for other gods. They continued to do other things, live their lives in other ways. And so Hosea was sent as a prophet by God. And so in Hosea chapter one, uh, we're just gonna read a few verses here. Um, verse two and three, it says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Strong start, right? Merry Christmas, you guys. Uh, and then it says, so he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame. Now, I'm just going to call it out here. Who is Deblame for this name? Come on, guys. That's a de yeah, that's good, right? I'm a dad. I can make those kind of jokes. Okay, so uh, this guy, this prophet, uh, is called to go and marry this promiscuous woman. Uh, there's different theologians that talk about whether it was just the way that she was or whether she was actually a prostitute or whatever it might be, but this is what God tells his prophet to do, to go and marry this woman and have children with her because he wants to communicate to Israel, to his people, that they are guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So Hosea does this. He goes and he marries them. This is not exactly the ideal Hallmark movie script. Uh, this is a little bit darker than that. Most prophets would just walk into a city, they would walk up to a king, they would go up to a ruler or to a people, and they would tell them the truth. They would speak to them and tell them what they are doing wrong. And some of you are like, I think I might be a prophet. I have that gift. Uh, I can always see what people are doing wrong. Uh, no, but there's this aspect of most prophets, they would go and they would just communicate to people. They would tell them, they would, they would speak to them. But God has Hosea do something incredibly different it's a visual thing, and it's an experiential thing, and he wants people to understand this drastic message. Hosea is called to demonstrate what God is like by showing unconditional love to someone, by continuing to pursue someone who continuously acts unloving. 
This is what God is inviting Hosea to do. He says, I want you to love this person. I want you to marry this person. I want you to have a family with this person because I want my people to understand the way that they are failing in their relationship with me. I want them to see the pain that is caused, the rift, the damage, when we are not in a right relationship, loving each other the way that we should be. So Hosea and Gomer, they get married. They have some children together. There's a time where it seems like she has uh, remained faithful and stayed true. Uh, Things are good. But eventually she goes off and she begins to kind of go back to the way that she used to live repeatedly over and over again. And ultimately, uh, she ends up selling herself into this uh, prostitution type of situation. And and Hosea, obviously, is heartbroken. Uh, Also, he's kind of torn between this idea of what God wants him to do and how he wants him to love this person. It's intense. In chapter 3, verse 1, is after a few years, they had been married for a number of years, it says, uh, the Lord said to me, this is Hosea speaking, go, And show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Which again, I mean, (laughs) the sacred raisin cakes are wonderful. Uh, No, there's this aspect of, of God speaking to Hosea and he's saying, I want you to go back and I want you to pursue her and I want you to to follow her and, and bring her home and, and, and renew this relationship with her. And it goes on, and, and so Hosea has to go and, and actually buy her out of the situation that she had gotten herself into. Hosea, he, he continues loving her and, and, and pursuing this person that was not interested in loving him the way that he deserved, the way that he should have been loved, the way that he needed to be loved. He continues treating her well. Because this story is an illustration. This story is, is God wanting to communicate the nature of his love for us. God is using Hosea and, and this uh, marriage to, as a picture of this is the way that I love you guys. Even though you continue to do other things, even though you may worship other gods, even though you put other things as priorities, you, you pursue other passions or deals or, or whatever it might be, uh, I still love you and pursue you, and it doesn't matter what you've done, how much you feel like you might have hurt me, there's still a pursuit. God's love is still pursuing us. This, this marriage between Hosea and Gomer is a, is a picture of God's love for us. Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, and love never fails. You've probably heard this passage at almost every wedding that you've gone to. It's this passage, it's a beautiful passage that describes what love is. Uh, and it, it, at a wedding especially, but even in other scenarios, I've heard this where it's like, man, if you don't love this way, then you're doing it wrong. Then you've failed. And this is an incredibly challenging measuring stick to live up to. It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others. We, we oftentimes hear this as the way, man, this is how you should be loving other people, and it is a target, but it's actually a description of the way that God does love us. 
It's not only this idea of, man, this is the target that you should be aiming to. You should be, you should be patient. You should be kind. And you shouldn't keep a record of wrongs. Absolutely. But it's, it's, a, it's a goal for us, whereas it's the current reality of how God loves us. If you were to replace this idea, this word love, with the word God, it says God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. He does not dishonor others. He's not uh, easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil. He rejoices in truth. God protects. God trusts. God hopes. God perseveres, and God never fails. There's this aspect of, of it describing who God is, and this is what we see in the story of Hosea and Gomer. It's this picture of this man that is continuing to pursue this woman, this marriage relationship, regardless of what she does or doesn't do. His love is consistent. His love is continuing to pursue her. Only God can love us in this perfect way. Uh, in the Bible, there's these four types of love, four basic types of love that, the, that we have words for in the Greek. Um, you know, in, in English, there's an aspect of me being able to say that I love my wife uh, and I love cinnamon rolls. And both of those are true, but there's like different types of love, right? Like, I mean, they're pretty close. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I really love cinnamon rolls is what I need you to hear in that statement. But in the Greek, they have different words for different types of love, and, and there's four different ones. We'll look at eros is the first one, and this is obviously like a romantic type of love. This is where we get the word erotic from. This is a romantic love. This is a love when you fall in love with somebody, and, and they can't do anything wrong. This is a type of love that's celebrated in Hallmark movies. Uh, this, is the, this is a beautiful type of love. The, the second type of love is storge, and this is like a familial type of love, uh, like a bond between parents and kids. This is a, a love that you have for family members. Uh, uh, philia is a third type of love, and this is like a friendship type of love, a compassion for others, a brotherly love. This is where the name Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, they get, it's a city of love because this word philia, this is a, a, friend, a friendship type of love. And then the fourth type of love that it talks about is only spoken about in reference to one person, and that's agape. The agape love is a perfect and unconditional, it's a sacrificial love. And the only person, or the only place that this word is really used is in, in context with who God is and the way that he loves us. But what happens for so many of us is we go to our spouse or our friends or our family or our coworkers and we expect an agape love from them. We expect a perfect love from them. And they are not equipped to be able to give us that type of love. They're not equipped to be able to fulfill our needs that way. They're not equipped to be able to love us in a perfect way, even when we hurt them accidentally or otherwise, even when we wrong them, even when we forget to text them on their birthdays and, or whatever it might be. There's this aspect of this perfect love that can only be found in God. The point of this story isn't that we should be like Hosea. The point of this story is that God already is. This is what God wants us to know that he loves us perfectly and unconditionally, and he continues to pursue us, regardless of whether you've gotten to church every week and read your Bible every day and you feel like you are just crushing it at the spiritual things, or maybe this is the first time that you've drugged yourself to church in years, there's this aspect of God's love for you that it hasn't changed. It's patient, it's kind, it keeps no record of wrongs. It always trusts. It never fails. This is what God's love is like. 
And there's this reality that we need to hold on to that is difficult for me, and I don't know, I, I would assume it's difficult for other people too, but uh, there's this, this piece for me where I feel like I have to change for God to love me, but the reality is that God doesn't love us if we change, God loves us so that we can change. His love is what gives us the freedom and the confidence and, and the, the ability to be able to change. It's not that we need to figure out how to get ourselves cleaned up first. It's that he loves us as we are. And when we, when we rest in that love that he has for us, and it gives us the ability to, to overcome habits and to be uh, freed from addictions and to restore our marriages and to find peace or purpose in our careers or, or whatever it might be. Hosea goes to his wife. He purchases her back. He pleads her to stay with him, to be loyal, to stop looking for love other places. And do you know what Gomer did? Neither do I. It doesn't really say. It says that he buys her back and then he invites her into this relationship again and then it just kind of leaves the perfect hallmark cliffhanger. It just leaves you wondering like, well, this time did she get it? Did she figure it out this time? Did she realize how much he loves her? Did, he, did she realize this time how much he sacrificed for her? Did she realize this time how he could have left her and been totally a right to do so, but he continued to love her with this perfect pursuing, uh, just this love that keeps no records of wrongs? Did, did she figure it out? And it just kind of leaves us hanging. And I think that that's because it's a question that we have to ask ourselves is, have we realized the way that God loves us? Have we realized that the way that he has sacrificed for us, the way that he's pursued us, the way that he doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but that when he looks at us, he sees his loved children, that he, he gushes over us, that he's patient with us, that he's kind towards us. Have we realized that? Because just as much as we might need to ask if Gomer has, I think that we have to ask if, if we've embraced that reality, if we've learned that truth, or will we continue to look for love somewhere else. It's important for us to hang on to this question because these are questions that we need to continue to ask ourselves. Will we continue to, to suffocate or to sabotage other relationships trying to get other people to love us in a way that God already does? Trying to get other people to make us feel as valuable, as important as the way that God already sees us. The love that you're looking for, we look for it in romantic love or family love or brotherly love, but it can only be found in that agape love. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we are hopeful for in the coming of Jesus. Only God is capable of being the love that we need. 1 John chapter 4 says it this way. He says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And you guys may have heard that line a million different places, but there's this powerful aspect of this line where he says, for God is love. If God is love, then everything that God does is based in love. I heard one teacher say uh, that there's an aspect of God's love that is a noun because he is love. It's a person, place, or thing. And it's a verb, because he loves us in different ways. And I heard this one teacher say, and I always thought it was funny, so I'm going to say it here. 
but it probably won't be funny to you guys. Uh, Love is the noun that God is, not just the verb that he does. There's this reality for us that it's not just that God does loving things towards us, it's that he is love. His essence is love. There's verses in the scriptures that, that say that God is just or that he is merciful or that he is patient. There's all these verses in the Bible that describe the ways that God is, but there's only one verse that says this is the essence of who God is. No verse says God is justice. There's no verse that says God is mercy. But right here, John says God is love. This is the essence of who he is. And the more we can wrap our minds around that, as difficult as that may be, the more we can realize that there is no way that we could hurt him enough, run far enough, damage things enough to be unloved by him. It's not possible because it is the essence of who he is. His love pursues us. Love is God's very essence. And then John wrote in uh, 1 John 3.16, he says, we, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. So the idea, here's what real love is. Here's what the ultimate uh, climactic scene in any movie is. Here's what we all kind of aspire to. Man, if I could love somebody in this way, I don't know if I would, but would I give myself for this person? Would I lay my life down for this person? John's saying this is how we know what true love is. And so if the depth of a person's love can be measured by their willingness to sacrifice for their beloved, then Jesus is the ultimate example of that. Hosea is a great picture of that with Gomer, but ultimately Jesus is the perfect example of this love story. The story of an all-powerful creator making the greatest conceivable sacrifice for people. You think of this story um, of Hosea and Gomer, and I've talked with my wife about it, and, and as we've read the Bible over the years, this has always been one of those stories that she gets really upset about. She's like, it's just not fair. Like, that guy got the, the short end of the stick. You know, there's this aspect of, of kind of, it's just, that's a bummer. But there's this picture of, of the way that he continues to pursue the way that he continues to not be stopped or slowed down by the decisions and actions that she's made, but that he continues to pursue after her and buy back and pay the price and, and care for the family. This idea, this, this frustration that we see in this story is a frustration that ultimately, in some ways, we should feel on God's behalf of, man, I, I wish that I had done a better job communicating how much I'm grateful for what God's provided for me. I wish I'd done a better job uh, spending time with God, which is a, maybe a bizarre thing to think about for some of you guys, but this idea of just, just being aware that he is with us, maybe just saying, God, thank you for what you've done, listening to worship music or, or reading a book or growing deeper, whatever it might be, there's this aspect of us when we see the, the tension that Hosea dealt with as an invitation for us to move in closer to our relationship, our understanding of who God is. So, if you aren't experiencing the love that you're longing for, it might be because you're trying to squeeze it out of something or someone other than God. 
Only God is able to provide us this perfect love regardless of our actions, regardless of our thoughts and our decisions, because God is love. And although we can aspire to this type of love, we can never fully live up to it, and we can never expect other people to live up to it either. The reality is the more love that we get from God, the more love we have to give to other people. The more love we receive, the more we understand God's love for us, that it's not just that he is loving to us, but that everything he does is based in love. The more we embrace and understand that, the more love that we will have to give to other people. And then in this season, two days from now, we celebrate Christmas. And it's a reminder that God's love is not this distant love, but that he is here, that he came as a baby, that he came as Jesus, this, this symbol of love, this idea of I will not be distant, I won't be disconnected, I want you to understand the way that I love you. And so Jesus came and was born in a manger. It says in John 1, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen this glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if I was to take a poll of the room, or if I was to take a poll at Vons or anywhere, and I said, hey, let's describe the two things that you think of when you think of God, how many people do you think in their heart of hearts they believe that they would say grace and truth would be the first two? Most people, we have this fear, we have this, this perspective of God being angry or disappointed in us or, or unfair or mean or whatever it is because we have a, a broken view of who God is, but the, the reality is that God is love and that everything he does is based out of that, including Jesus being born to live a life, to understand daily what we go through, the experiences that we have, and ultimately to give his life for us. We don't have to earn his love. He gives it to us freely. And when we experience love in any form, in any relationship, when you guys are with your family tomorrow nights, when you guys are watching kids sing their hearts out on stage, when you hear a song that reminds you of a person, when you, whatever it might be, any experience of love that you have is a glimpse. It's a shadow of this perfect love that God has for you that God has for me, that he's pursuing us with. Love in any form is just a shadow of the perfect love that God has for us. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me?